This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to your number one Stoke City podcast, Every Step Along the Way. Now, as always, you've got myself, Mike Stockley. I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Mr. Daniel Buxton. Uh, Dan, how's your, your week been, mate? You've been, you been keeping well? I have indeed, yes. Um, as I was just saying, before we started recording, you know, feeling all refreshed after the international break, after... Um, let's be honest, it was quite a hectic <laughs> um, few weeks, wasn't it, between the, the, the last international break and this one. So, yeah, uh, all raring to go, getting back into it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm raring to go as well. I mean, uh, do you think that the international break, we, we always, the, the manager gets asked and we always get asked as well around, oh, you know, did it come at the right time, etc. I think actually for once this, this has come at the right time. I mean, not only really just because I think we're on a bit of a downer from some poor results, but obviously injuries has massively impacted us recently. Uh, if, if you're Alex Neal, I think you're, you're taking the international break uh, overplaying again, I think, for, for a while. So do you think this, as I said, this has probably come at the right time for you? Yeah, for once, I think the manager probably wishes the international break was an extra week. <laughs> rather than, um, I think they've, uh, like you said, we had a lot of players out and I think we've got spiral reports and we'll get into it later on, but I think you know, a few of them should be back for this weekend, which is exciting. Um, and then the, the others aren't going to be too far behind, or well, not all of them, obviously, but I think we should start getting dribs and drabs of, of the remainder of them back. So, you know, I imagine that there'll be some additions to that injury list at some point. You know what this club's like. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, having, having a couple of weeks off, it's certainly uh, fell just at the right time for everyone just to regroup, I think, and uh, go again. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, mate. I think we've got a. I mean, we we said on the the pod for anyone who who caught it on the international break, we did a bit of a, a special there. We talked about the games coming up and how you know difficult they are and points we might get from them. If you haven't listened back to that, then then definitely go and have a look at it. But um, yeah, we've got some very difficult games coming up. We're going to need every single one of them bodies back. Uh, and for me, if you know Vidigal, we've already talked about him a number of times, but he's going to be quite integral. Uh, to to what we do going forward and and potentially winning some what we could see as being quite tight games uh, at least certainly low scoring games so um, but yeah we'll 
we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, what I wanted to kind of do you now, a lot of people like me, uh, to be honest with you, Dan, have probably moved on from this. and We're, we're literally going to spend about five minutes on this. So obviously Leicester, uh, last time out, of course, you know, we lost uh, a couple of goals to nil, Dan. Um, didn't really have much possession at all. I think we had like two shots on target, if I remember rightly. Um, not uh, not kind of a shock there, really, was there? I think we we all fully expected a uh, a loss versus Leicester. I, I must say, I didn't I, I didn't expect the ferocious attacks on various players and uh, mainly Alex Neil, if I'm honest. After that defeat, I thought a bit of a random game to want to attacking for, um, especially considering the players and the people we had to put out. But I thought that was probably the main surprise from that. I mean. I know for me, when I looked at this game, it was more, I think I said, actually, was it 4-0? I think I predicted. And I think most people predicted four or five goals. Uh, I think to come away with only, you know, losing a couple of goals, not being smashed, and also some actually decent performances for the likes of Junior and Juno and and bits like that. And obviously no more injuries from what we can tell. Um, I think if we're trying to look for positives from a defeat, um, that's probably about right, I think. I mean, we, did, we didn't create much, did we? Like you said, you know, just a couple of shots. But um, I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't see the game myself. Uh, I was actually in Blackpool. Uh, I was out for me, uh, a couple of my daughter's sort of birthdays, sort of, you know, combined around this time. So we, we ended up in Blackpool. Um, did you get ripped off with the rock again, Dan? Or didn't, we did didn't, you no. Play? We no. Went, went right up to the top of the tower, though. A nice view of... Uh, out at sea and all across Blackpool there. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was so, so cool. And I was actually in the Sea Life Centre while the match was being played. Um, so I was sort of just kept checking my phone, you know, on the sneak, on the sneaky one. Oh, yeah, just... Um, so, yeah, so we did that. Like I say, I, I didn't see too much of it. Um, but obviously read, read a few reports after seeing what highlights you, you, you can see. Um, by all accounts, it sounds like Josh Loren had a decent game at centre back, filling in uh, sort of an emergency cover there. We thought it might have been Berger, didn't we? And obviously, when I saw yeah. the team, I thought it'd be Berger, but uh, it turns out it was Loren who was, play, who was playing in centre back. And then, yeah, fair play to him. He's obviously you know, stuck, stuck his hand out there and said he'd play there, or you know, he's he's just gone in that gone in that back line and and done a decent job by all accounts. I mean, he, you know, let's be honest. It, it, teams are going to go there. Some teams will go there this year and lose four or five nil easy. And yeah, we had all the excuses there ready to roll out if that had been us in this game, but it wasn't. Um, two nil. I haven't seen the actual miss, but I believe somebody said Nathan Lowe could actually have made it one all at one point and possibly should have made it one all. Um, so if he does that, I mean, who knows? I mean, we may even have snuck an snuck actual point out of this game. Um, but yeah, he didn't, and when we didn't. So yeah, 2 0. It's, uh, yeah, damage limitation probably. And uh, yeah, I think not that you ever want to go into a game with this mentality, but if ever there was a, a sort of a free pass, if you like, on a defeat, I think with the team, the, the personnel that we had available and and the people that were filling in, you know, two, two, two midfielders in the back line, that this was probably it. We did have a, a man of the match poll that obviously we, we always run uh, and we put some animations out. Uh, who who led the way with that one? 
so anyone who did see the game wouldn't be surprised to see Junior Shamadou, uh 73% of the votes. He uh, trounced it, his second successive man of the match, uh, in just his two starts as well. So he's got a, a nice record there. Of, you know, when he starts, he gets man of the match. Um, the Jude Bellingham of the club, shall we say. <laughs> Oof, <laughs> wow, that's it. An interesting comparison. But actually, in fairness, it'd be interesting to see again when we talk about selections, like... Junior is is come in and we said didn't we against I can't remember who it was against now um, I don't know if it was Preston or maybe I mean my game's completely wrong at this time of night but yeah he he really looks I mean he's nineteen but he looks like he's been playing for another five or ten years beyond what he is I mean he I can't wait to see what he is capable of of doing and what he's capable of achieving but uh, he again a bit like a you know. Of course, you know, Sid, uh, obviously Sid Abiyu plays in the middle, like didn't look out of place. Um, and I'm really keen to see whether he replaces, you know, even Henry uh, longer term. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see where the manager goes this weekend, won't you? Again, something we'll sort of discuss later on. Um, yeah, the, the Bellingham comparison wasn't obviously ability-wise or anything like that. It was more the fact, um, obviously, like I say, he's... Man of match in both of his starts, he's got it, and obviously Bellingham has got is it nine in twelve games he's played this season. This season he's been man of the match for Real Madrid in England. That's a ridiculous stat <laughs> um, for a ridiculous talent. Anyway, yes, Mark Travers was second with thirteen percent of the vote, and third was a Walter Berger. So yes, so uh, yeah, nice to see him back in the side as well and getting a few votes. Uh, for sort of man of the match, you know, so you get it, you know, people enjoying watching him play. I did see one delightful little ball he played with the outside of his foot. I was uh, very impressed with that one. <laughs> I'm more of that. Thank you, Mr. Berger. Uh, player of the season wise, so Mark Travis, 193 points, is out there in first place now. He's the only player to have played every league minute so far. All 990 of them, plus about 900 injury time minutes as well. Um, second is Andre Vidigal, 146 points, despite only making one sub-appearance since being injured at Millwall in August. Uh, third is Ben Wilmot with 127, although he's probably going to be you know, falling, tumbling down this list over the next few weeks. He's out for three months, isn't he? Uh, four as Lyndon Gooch with one, two, four, and a five as Wouterberger with one, one, eight. So, yeah, there's the top five in play with the season standings. So, uh, one last thing I think we've got to do on this game is we've got some audio uh, from our friends, obviously our Leicester Sporting uh, Podcast friends. So, shall we have a listen to what they've got to say? Um, I was quite confident going into this match. Uh, I think basically you sort of played your chances down a lot uh, going through sort of the injuries that you had as a team. And I do know how that can affect you because um, we'd been there a couple of seasons ago um, when we seemed to just get one injury after the other. Um, I was I was surprised at how little you offered. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I mean... You said you'd got a whole load of new players uh, come in, but then, you know, we had as well. Okay, maybe we're lucky in the fact that ours have uh, have gelled better, um, but... I don't know, twenty-six percent possession you had. Um you, you, you sort of came and I felt you came and, and I'm not being awful here to park the bus. 
maybe even sort of build a coach park, if I'm honest with you. Um, you know, I mean, you had sort of two shots all game, um, one big chance amongst that. Well, that was 50% of it, wasn't it? And I think that kind of sums your effort up. I mean, there was one... There was one time you you were through, uh, you hit the side netting. Apart from that, I can I never felt worried by Stoke, and that's quite damning. And I don't mean it to be, but I can only say what I saw. Um, well, we we had fourteen shots to your two. Um, you know, we should be uh, we should we should be having uh, more. Uh, sorry, not you know that much sort of more than you. Um, I, We've we've noticed this with a lot of teams, but especially with Stoke this season, that, that you know teams are coming to defend against us and are going like, well, if we can get a point, yeah, we'll take that away from home against Leicester. But do you know what? You know, you know, we're Unfortunately, you came up against a team that scored two contenders for goal of the season on one game. I don't know where those goals came from, um, but you know. We're on a roll and, you know, we'll beat teams by more than two all season. You're certainly, you know, we have already beaten teams by bigger margins. Um, hopefully for you, you'll get some players back. But, you know, I think number of tackles, number of passes, possession. We were higher on all the stats. Um, but, you know, to have two shots all game, 26% possession, you're never going to get anything with those sort of tactics, I don't think. But look, I wish you the best for the rest of the season. I, you know, you know, you're a fellow Midlandish club, so uh, I will, you know, want don't want you to go down. I don't think you will go down. Although one of my colleagues, I did have you in the bottom three, unfortunately. But I think you'll turn it round. Uh, I think there's worse teams than you. Uh, we've played worse teams than you. So, uh, but I was surprised. I was surprised at the the lack of fight. You did come there. I felt to get the point, and, and we're very defensive. But look, good luck for the rest of the season look forward to meeting you again uh, on your ground uh, in the return and uh, as i say i'm sure uh, don't know i don't know how well you do mid table just be, just below possibly uh, i don't think you're going to go down but uh, look good luck for the rest of the season take care guys all the best bye bye Lovely. Cheers, Chris. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we know we'll, uh, we'll see you all on the return fixture this time with, of course, a full-strength uh, squad. That would be nice. Um, I can't remember when exactly we play you again. I have to look at the fixtures, but uh, hopefully we'll be in a bit more of a, a, of a fit state to actually give it a go rather than, obviously, what you observed uh, yourself. So... Uh, but, but so yeah. you may have lost a game or two by then. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, they might be on play 35-134 at this rate, but um, yeah, they're, they're a quality side, so fair enough. Um, cool. Okay, we don't want to talk about Leicester anymore. Most people wanted to move on probably a week and a half ago. Um, so what we did ask uh, was obviously some uh, fans' questions. So we like to, to drop this in. We don't do it every single week. It get, ends up being a little bit um, samey if, if you do. So um, Kev sent a, a bit of a, a list in from the uh, the actual Facebook group. So if anyone hasn't, you know, wants to be in the Facebook group and obviously the Messenger and bits like that, just search for every step along the way and you'll see it on there. So uh, I think it's about 450-odd people strong at the time of recording. So uh, not bad considering we hardly ever even mention it. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, okay, then, Dan, these ones are for you, mate. I'm going to ask you. So, um, 
probably could spend an hour on these, but let's just try and keep it quick fire ish, please. Uh, do Stoke fans expect too much? Um, I don't think they expect too much. I think they may possibly expect it too soon sometimes. And I know some people will be screaming at whatever they listen to this on being like, it's been seven years of being crap. <laughs> it's been nearly 10 years of being crap. But I think it, you've, you've got to separate, like, for example, Alex Neal's come in and you've got to separate his, when you think about him and his future and his time, uh, same as you were with Michael O'Neill and Nathan Jones before Gary Rouse, you've got to separate them from what's gone before. You can't cloud and say, well, we've been crap for seven years. Otherwise, the next person who walks through the door is like, he's already up against it because he's walking into a club where everyone's going, well, we're rubbish and we've been rubbish for so long, so you best get us, you know, you best turn it around quickly because we are already got our backs up about this. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't think we expect too much. I think where people want us to be and what they want us to do is fair enough. I just think that maybe we need to give people a little bit more time and try and separate out things. Like for me, I'll do one last thing and then I'll let you speak. Uh, for me, I've wiped away last season when I thought about Neil because to me that that was a sort of a, a learning time for him or time to look at the squad. The entirety of that's gone. And now... You sort of for me, you know, the summer and this season is what I'll be judging him on. So I don't want to judge him on the amount of games we've played so far. I'll, I'll be giving him the majority of this season unless something drastic happens and we're like, you know, bottom three at Christmas or something. But yeah, for me, I'll be just, I sort of decompartmentalised uh, this sort of season. Uh, forget what's gone before. Okay, I actually haven't got much more to add on that, if I'm honest with you, Dan. I, I kind of agree with you to a certain extent. Um, so actually what you've just said kind of goes straight on to the next one. So does Neil get the full season regardless of results? And I think we touched on this with the, the part on the international break. Um, and for me, it was, I think regardless of results would be wrong. I think if he's if he's got us in firmly in the bottom three come Christmas... Most managers with, you know, the expectations that this club has and stuff like that, most managers wouldn't survive that. Um, so I think regardless of results, no. I think if Alex Neal's got us in the bottom three, he's in trouble. Um, do I think he should go? No. Uh, for the only reason, again, that I said on the last pod, I need a better replacement. If it's too easy to say he needs to go, he needs to go. You need to show me a better replacement. And there may be some out there in people's minds, and that is totally fine. But as I sit here right now, like I can't think of anyone that instantly comes to mind. And certainly Gary Rowett, who's been sacked tonight, um, is not one of them, <laughs> by the way, which I'm sure nobody would have him back. Um, but Dan, I, mean, I, I think I know what you're going to say here, but uh, does Neil get the full season regardless of results? Again, with the caveat of not quite 100% regardless, but as long as we're not in any danger of going down, I would prefer to give him more than enough time to show us that we're progressing and we're going, we can build something 
than to cut it off too soon. I don't think the club benefits from a change of management again if it can help it. Obviously, there are circumstances where that needs to happen. You said, you know, clubs of this stature who are down in the bottom three, you know, wouldn't sort of put up with a manager, the same manager. Let's be honest, in the Championship, no disrespect to clubs like this, but clubs who are expected to be down the bottom, so you Rotherham, um, probably QPR, uh, I'd say at the minute, teams like that, they even those clubs would be looking to change managers, I think, if they were deeply rooted in that bottom three at Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I think, actually, I saw something tonight about the average um, tenure of a manager. Is it 12.8 months uh, in the Championship? And uh, I think Alex Neal is now seventh longest-serving manager, even though he only joined his last August. It says everything, that. Yeah, he does indeed. Seventh longest, and bear in mind, two of the six above him got promoted from League One last year. So obviously that's why you know, they aren't going to get sacked, are they, when they've just got promoted. So there's only four four managers who have, you know, without getting a promotion, that have managed to stick in the job longer than Alex Neal's been at Stoke. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, next one, uh, does booing the team during the game help? Now, <laughs> um, I mean, I think the obvious answer for me to that is no, it doesn't help. Uh, I can't see how it would help. Uh, that you know they'll they'll already be feeling pressure from however they're playing crap or whether whatever's happening. Um, I think booing the players a hundred percent doesn't help. The only time I think booing helps during a game is if the referee, which we know full well, make crap decisions and ruin a game like they did in the last game. Um, so well last home game, shall we say? So for me, no, there's it's there's not not even a question for me. Does not help. Um. But sometimes you can you you know you can use that fuel against the ref to really create a great atmosphere. Um, so I, don't, I, mean, I think again, I, I know you I know you very well. I know what your answer is going to be to this, and I'm, I'm sure the answer will be does booing help the team? And the answer from you will probably be no. Like you said, I'd, I'd love if somebody feels it does. I would love them to to. And this isn't be like sarcastic or thing. I'd love them to justify why they think. It helps. Like, in what way does does it improve a player's performance to be booed and heckled by his own supporters? There's a reason why we do that. Or when you know, when when the bare atmosphere was there in the Premier League in those early days, and you've seen players will to me and before that, people like Chris Commons when he returned once it were the Nottingham Forest, and he sort of. Uh, magically developed an injury that meant he had to go off after 25 minutes because of the, you know, sort of the vitriol that was being sort of spewed out from the stands at him every time he, he touched the ball, and and then I've seen you, know, you think of other uh, other matches. I remember the Manchester City game, the first season we were there, when James Beattie scored that winner and Delap had been sent off from that Delap red card, which was obviously never a red card, like he said there. The booing towards the ref and then the atmosphere there. I mean, people still talk about the atmosphere and that sort of 80th minute roar that just sort of unite, you know, that the all four stands sort of united together to 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 sort of roar the the players on them last ten minutes. There's a reason in games like that. Why did why do you think that you the opposition players would be booed so heavily and that why would you do that to put them off the game, um, to 
you know, to, to sort of make them shrink, if you like, in themselves and, and not, uh, and sort of, you know, try and hide a bit. So if you're going to do that to your own players, why do you think it's going to have a positive sort of effect? I think you're much, you're much better, especially during the game, you're much better sort of getting behind them. And if they are struggling, get them behind them even more. You know, encourage encouragement is, is far more likely to get more positive results. As frustrating as it is, I mean, let's be honest, we're all, we've all been frustrated um, this season, let alone any season's gone by, haven't we? When we've, you know, um, certain players, certain games, um, how things are going, referees, opposition, a lot. You can always get frustrated, but I think if you, you know, we should all try our best, try as much as we can to be positive towards the player, especially during the game. Like I say, if you really need to sort of boo and whatever, try and maybe save it for the final whistle after the match. Yeah. Um, see, I've got no problem with people booing. I think everyone's got the right to do so. Um, so I'd never say you're wrong for doing it. Uh, I think I personally am on the side of you, you're very welcome to do what you feel is right. Uh, if you, you know, you pay your money, um, you deserve to have your own say. I, I'm with you. I think positive reinforcement is some, you know, sometimes better. What I can totally understand how if you're playing crap and you know, you know, you, the players aren't seeming to put the effort in or, or whatever, whatever your perception is, I can totally understand people having that, that opinion that, okay, I'm going to boo it because this isn't good enough. So yeah, I, you know what though, for me, Dan, even then at the end of the games, Dan, uh, if I'm not happy, I just won't. I just won't clap. I, 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 I'm not. That, I'm not interested in booing. I don't. That's not for me. Like it's not for everyone. But I'd rather just you know return it with silence. To be honest with you, um, if that's how they've been playing, that that that's my protest. If you like towards it all. Put it this way: the the lap of inverted commas honour at the end of last season will have sent more than a strong enough you know, more than a strong message to that group of players about how the fans felt towards them. They didn't need to boo. There was something like that. Um, you know, this the stands being empty for that. I mean the stands be empty at full time. Um I say players not standing being applauded but fans just walking out, that's would show just as much, if not more, of a message to the players. Um about the, their relationship with the, with the supporters. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, cool, so that's pretty much all the questions that I saw through. There was some uh, there was some interesting questions we had through on uh, on Twitter, which is always uh, reliable uh, for, a, for a bit of uh, humour. So I won't kind of go down uh, that route with some of them. Uh, we want uh, all for a bit of a laugh, but I also want some. Uh, I've just seen some other comments, Dan. I'm just, I'll uh, interrupt myself with that, but we'll come we'll come back to it because it's actually taking me nicely um, onto my next point before we start talking about club news and stuff. Um, interesting thing that's also come out today is uh, the one thing that, that you know we've been talking with the club about the supporters council have uh, last season, uh, and that was of course the fan zone. Something that the club have been looking out at, looking at really since you know where you know, Simon King came in. 
uh, something to look at. He, you know, I think they've been trying to make sure it was a viable option where they were going to build it. Blah blah blah. Um, and obviously today they've put out the images uh, for for the actual you know, the fan zone, which looked pretty impressive from from what I've seen. Uh, what was your initial take on on the sketches that you've seen? I mean, it looks huge in there. I mean, if you've got to put your your mind's eye to that space that's behind the booth and uh, type area, uh, it's it won't be huge, but I think it'll have a, a good size to it. I mean, are you quite impressed? Is, is there anything you think they've missed a trick on? Um, or, you know, alternatively, do, do, is it exactly what you expected? No. This sort of news broke. It's a bit of an awkward time for me, so I haven't really... I've seen the sketches, but I've not sort of dug deep into the detail. So can you... Do you, see, have you seen like the sort of like the finer details of what's what's going to be there? How it's all going to work? So yeah, I'm going to get it back up for us as well, mate, just so I can kind of give you. I mean, they've I think they're keeping quite a bit of it um, close to the chest. If I'm honest, they haven't kind of said we're going to have this stand and this stand and this type of food and and all that. They haven't really gone into that uh, amount of details. But uh, let me just try and bring it back up for us, and I'll see if there's anything that I can kind of tell you. I mean, the one thing they have said um, is that it's. It's going to be adjacent to the, the North Car Park. It's going to feature the main stage. So if you imagine like a big, I don't know, like a a, a party stage or, you know, what, what you see at like events and concerts and stuff like, like that. So imagine, yeah, like a live music stage. So I'm guessing they're going to be putting bands and stuff on there. And it's going to be have a, a big LED screen um, alongside several food and drink outlets. Um, you know, there's going to be a dedicated children's area. Um, and obviously toilets and, and stuff there as well. Um, I think that's pretty much all they've kind of said in terms of what they're planning. I mean, no doubt that they're still canvassing businesses who are actually going to take on contracts. So, I mean, you, we're not going to hear about food and stuff like that for a long, long time. But from what I can gather, Dan, it's it's, it's going to be um, big stage, and you know, one kind of main entrance and exit from what I can see, uh, and then a bunch of uh, kind of... What can only be described as probably covers? Uh, like if you imagine like a big gazebo, looks like almost like one side of the actual area is going to be full of like gazebos or whether it's going to be permanent fixtures. It doesn't look a permanent structure, but uh, probably a space that they can really um, they can really switch and change because I, I imagine that they're going to want maybe on on non-match days they might be obviously looking at that as a as a commercial venture for for hiring out for maybe you know I don't know how big this thing's going to be but you know like small mini concerts or mini events that they might want to be on you know be putting on there um and then yeah like the food and drink seems to be like completely separate so if you imagine the stage at one end and the screen next to it the very opposite end as well there seems to be like a a bit of a smaller square for food outlets so I, I think what I'd love to see in this area is, you know, permanent food outlets as well. I don't want to see a bunch of burger vans and stuff like that. But obviously with this coming in, it does make you think whether that's the end of the whole burger vans going around. Do you think they might go down more of the, I don't know, let's say more corporate food choices rather than, you know, your your man in a van type scenario? I think it needs probably to be a little bit different under to what you can get, you know, outside the ground, inside the ground. A bit of street food probably leave those contracts probably don't need to be sort of of any decent length either. You know, I'd like it's probably a good thing to rotate it and change things up. Definitely. Um I mean, you could probably you... 
more. Oh, sorry, Dan. I was just going to say, what would you have for the kids section? It mentions a, a kids area, um, but I mean, when I think back, I think I went to Huddersfield, and they, I mean, they've got a little, a little bit of a one. It's a blow up, you know, football game that people, you know, kids. You probably saw it when we were there the other week. Um, you know, the the, the kids kicking a ball at, at a target. But uh, I think one thing I did see them from the previous season before that was. Um, the players who were injured and stuff like that. They had like a like a booth where the players could stand there and the you know the kids could go up, take a picture and stuff like that. Is is that the type of thing that you want to see uh, from from this type of fan zone? I mean, let's face it, if they're injured, they can. Which there's plenty of them. We could we could we could rotate it one every week, couldn't we? Have we got enough room for anybody else getting there? If we put all the injured players in this place, up to capacity. <laughs> the kids area. I think you want stuff like, um, like you say, you see where the uh, like, like table football, but you can do it sort of where you strap sort of like human version stuff like that. I reckon. You know, just, I don't know how much of this area is going to be given to the kids, but you know, stuff like that, uh, face painting. Yeah, you know, things kids love. Anything that anything they can bounce on, bouncy castle kind of thing. I don't know. They love that kind of stuff, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that type of a space to me. I mean, I'm very intrigued to see what they come out with. Um, to, to be honest, but yeah, look, it's it's something that I think is is good. You always saw. I mean, I was expecting the sarcastic comments to come out, and Facebook's absolutely believe all of them. As soon, you know, if not not our group, just you know the actual um, you know, the Sentinel, I think, who who posted out the links and all that, uh, saying you know we need fans to fill it first. And you're always going to get those types of comments. It was it was never going to be any different. I think for me, it'd be, it'd be nice. You know, we talked about what, what was the Sky Sports type. Uh, zone as well, so they could have a Sky Sports uh, section. And Christ, I think people were talking about like you know the, the whole FIFA or whatever the hell it's called these days. Like people were talking about having something like that there at one point, like a you know Stoke City head to head. I mean, they, they could do whatever the hell they wanted, but um, I guess the point is here. Look, just keep an eye out for that. Uh, the only one thing I did want to ask you, Dan, um, and because I asked everyone else, so I'll give you everyone else's opinions. We've had a lot of them in. If you look at the pictures, now I think it's nothing more than me reading something in into it that it really shouldn't be read into. Probably just an artist sketch, which is not quite looking the same. But if you zoom in on the actual gates to, to, to the entrance of this thing, it seems like that there could be a statue that kind of is in the middle of it. I'm sure it could just be absolutely nothing. Um, but if there was to be a statue, who would you have greeting everybody and obviously saying goodbye for the entrance slash exit um what player manager whatever would you have in there i think the obvious choice is the man i'm 100 sure you're going to say um in tony pulis uh, i think you know he's th- there's not been many other people who would be deserving of it. Obviously, you know, he's, he spent a decade of his life at this football club uh, over two spells. You know, he, he kept us up, got us promoted, kept us up, got us to an FA Cup final, took us into Europe. You know, the, the man's an absolute legend at this football club, isn't it? You know, I'd be first to put my hand up and say it wasn't always exciting, wasn't always fantastic, um, the football, but the memories and you know what we achieved and um what we did then no no stoke fan will ever forget that 
and I just think that yeah, if there's there's not been many other the other people, the only other person in the more recent times that made his you may feel deserves a statue, um, would on the playing side would probably be Ryan Shawcross. Um obviously, you know, Rick has got his bar named after him. I don't think there's anyone else who's can match Shawcross's uh, longevity or impact on this club. Obviously he was skip you know, he was captain for nearly what must have been nearly ten years, um, if not more, to be honest. And you know, he gave literally well not literally but nearly his entire career, didn't he? You know, bar you know, short few months at Manchester United beforehand and a few months in America afterwards. You know, of his entire career. And I'm sure if it wasn't for injury, he'd probably still be playing for us now. Let's be honest, because he'd probably still get in. Would have still been able to get in this side, wouldn't he? If it was like, say, if it wasn't for his injuries, that you know, and ended up ending his career. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say if you want a player, it to be sure across a manager to be pure. Um, obviously, the cost comes into it, um, but obviously you've got the three. Um, statues of Stanley Matthews have you with the drum size the, obviously the dribble and the drop of the shoulder and that um, if there are going to be if there's going to be like an exit and an entrance gate and you've got like the room for one either side and one in the middle if you were going to do managers then I think if you've got like the three that stand out for me manager wise and probably stand out head and shoulders above any other sort of Stoke um Stone manager of of all you know the last fifty years, sixty years, it'd be Waddington, Pulis, and Macari. And if you could um, get something where you know one of them's on either side and one's in the middle, that'd be you know an amazing visual. Uh, but I understand that you know these things aren't cheap either. <laughs> no, no, they're they're not cheap. And it's funny you should mention those names. I mean, you're absolutely spot on. For me, it'd be Pulis every day of the week. Um, I don't know whether they're going to have a a particular name for this fan park, whether they're going to name it after somebody or, or what, we'll we'll soon see. But I asked everyone else to to give me their thoughts on the names, and we've had tons of them in. So I'll very quickly run through them. Uh, Stokey AJ said, I'd imagine Fuller or Shawcross would make sense, seeing as they still have strong ties with the club. Uh, Ollie Long says, got to be Shawcross. Seb says, Shawcross. Adam, Shawcross. Um, Vokes or Chester for Leo. <laughs> um... Dan agrees that he does look like a statue. Uh, Peter Kotteff from Mark Braveford. Uh, Potamus, uh, Scott from Stokey Gym. Uh, then we get a little bit more of the serious ones. Uh, Andy Slee says Tony Pulis. Uh, Voons has got to be Mark Steen. Uh, we've got Davo, who only wants it to be um, Paul Lambert. So I think he's a Paul Lambert fan. I think Tonga and Chig, I'd say. And then, yeah, we've got Lou Macari. Nalo, Lumacari, Tony Pulis, Warrington, um, Andy Slee says Pulis, uh, Man of the People, Liam says Pulis, Jack says Shawcross, TP and Macari, which is quite ironic way to, to finish up considering what you just said. I think it's a good chance to move that statue of Stanley Matthews, um, which has been shoved at the top end of a car park. Uh, I think obviously the idea may have been to, you know, to kind of look over the city. That's probably what they were looking for, but considering the amount of the overgrown bushes down that end and it feels quite hidden and tucked away. Um, this is the yeah. perfect time to actually move it. I think it was supposed to be visual from the A50 ones for anybody driving past, but like I say, the uh, the wonderful 
oh, I don't know if it's the council, but we'll blame them anyway. Should keep the bushes, you know, the, the trees and the bushes trimmed down so that uh, it can be visual and seen. Yeah, so get it moved, Stoke. I know it's probably not a cheap thing to do, but Christ, chuck a bucket outside each turnstile and say, well, we want to move it, you know, chuck a quid and every time you come in the game or something, that, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm sure we've we've got enough money to do to do that, but if they really wanted to be tight about it, then I'm sure people would be more than happy to just chuck a quid and a blinking bucket to, to get it moved. You know, at the end of the day, the, what he contributed to the club before my time is very clear to see. So I think it's the least they can do, if I'm honest. Especially when I know they were looking at like lighting and stuff, more permanent lighting to go up there. So I think that's probably not on the cards. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. So anyway, uh, moving on. So uh, yeah, good uh, good little section that one. Uh, Dan, any other particular you know club news, uh, under twenty ones, etc. In the last kind of week or so. I have much to say. So, under 18s. So, Saturday the 7th of October. So, going back a little bit now. Uh, Stoke beat Newcastle 4 1 at under 18s level. Emre Tesco returned. Hoorah. And he. he Might be on the bench, do you think? Um, I don't think so. Judging okay. by the reports I've read, he, him and. Um, Lewis Baker are improving their fitness and Emery is still with the under-18s at the minute because obviously I think he can get a bit more out of you know, so that game time and stuff with them. Um, so, yeah, we'll probably see him probably get a couple more games, I reckon, with them, build himself up uh, before he gets back into the first-team picture. Uh, but, yes, he made his return and straight away scored within 15 minutes to equalise after Newcastle had taken the lead inside two minutes. Uh, Matt Haskell and two for Enright secured the win. So, yeah, we obviously beat Newcastle 4-1. That was the last game they played, didn't have a game last weekend. This week, they played Leicester at home on Saturday, 11am kickoff at Clayton Wood in the Premier League League Cup. So I imagine Emery will probably be fe- featuring in that game and hopefully get himself on the, on the uh, score sheet again and hopefully we can get another win. Uh, he's playing for the under-18s because the under-21s have had no games since the end of September. And their next fixture is not until the 30th of October, which is a home game against Norwich. Uh, so, yeah, nothing really to report from under-21s. Uh, the women have been a lot busier, though. So, obviously, the last podcast we did, they said that they'd just been knocked out the League Cup away at Halifax. Uh, but they were then going back to Halifax to play them again. And they gained revenge for that Cup defeat by winning there in the league by three goals to one. So, Saffron Jordan, Ellie Leak, and Shannon Stamps uh, all scored, which actually made it four. And then they made it four undefeated in the league with a 2 1 win away at Derby uh, the following Wednesday. Uh, with Jordan and Stamps again on the score sheet there to secure victory over the Rams. Um, or the the Ramesses, maybe? I don't know. Um, but now we're up to fourth in the league. So, yeah, the Stoke women are now up to fourth in the league. Uh, but this week, they take on top of the table Burnley. Uh, so, yeah, welcome them to the Emery Stadium on Sunday with a 2pm kickoff. So, good luck to the women there. I did see, um, by the way, before you move on very quickly, uh, they, they put a post out the other day saying their, their development team won 9-0 against Creswell Wanderers um, as well. So, so good on them. I think at any level winning 9-0 is pretty decent. 
yeah, that's that's uh, not a, we'd, we'd take that result any day of the week, wouldn't you? <laughs> no matter what team you were playing. Um, but yes, yeah, fair play, well done to them. Um, in other club news, so centre half news: Ben Wilmot is going to be out until around the new year. Uh, with a knee injury sustained in a collision with a post versus Southampton. Um, so, yeah, I remember obviously he sort of slid in, didn't he, and sort of a goal-saving slide as, as he, you know, what he was attempting to do. Um, obviously, we didn't quite see the collision itself. We just saw the aftermath, didn't we, from where we were sat, Mike, in the booth and end. Um, but, yeah, had a bit of treatment and, yeah, he's, he's going to be out for a while. So, he must have done something pretty bad, mate. Yeah, not not good at all, but uh, hopefully back sooner rather than later. Yeah, indeed, and uh, to assist with our shortage at centre-half in that time, uh, we have signed Kyron Clark. Now, obviously, we had a, a podcast last week, didn't we, that we did on spaces. Um, but, yeah, he signed till the end of the season, 34-year-old centre-back, uh, plenty of experience in the Championship and mainly the Premier League, uh, Republic of Ireland International, Played for Aston Villa, Newcastle, and then also Sheffield United on loan last season. Um, Kim, do you want to just remind everybody about your thoughts on the signing, Mark, briefly? Yeah, uh, I, I think you like I said last week you can't really deny the experience that you know he brings. I know a lot of people will have a whinge because of the audio that came out saying he's not going to be ready for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's exactly what we expected. Um, and um, a lot of people throwing a few daggers at the club for not signing him five or six weeks ago. Let's keep in mind here that he's probably not cheap freebie signing. So were we in a position where we wanted to offer him probably a very high wage five or six weeks ago? Uh, we probably had a, maybe a bit more confidence that we wouldn't need him that desperately. And maybe we've had to go back and just you know, meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's business at the end of the day. So I, I do... I do kind of get where people are coming from, but you've you've got to account for that. Um, but yeah, for me, Dan, it's a good, solid def- defender. He's he could be another um, Phil Jagielka for me. You know, Jags did a good service for us uh, towards the back end of his career. Um, and, you know, he's still what he's only thirty four. Like, it's, if he keeps himself generally fit and doesn't pick up many more injuries, there's worse players to have around the club. And, you know, when when you think, and actually, I'm sorry to jump ahead, or not ahead, but throw an extra question at you. When you think about that, the players that, um, you know, we've let go, you know, Aidan Flint and Morgan Fox, Connor Taylor went. Um, I think one thing I saw Mike Padgett throw back um, in, in the papers in the week was saying that Alex Neal should have seen these injuries coming um, instead of now reacting with Karen Clark. I think was probably what he was trying to get at. Um, do you think Alex Neal should have seen them coming? I, I, I think to a certain extent he shouldn't have left us maybe so exposed because I think for the first time in a long time we've actually got no one of any decent youth ranks ready to come in in that centre-back space. So is it easy to say that he shouldn't have let the likes of Connor Taylor go? Um, or what's your thoughts on that? It's interesting because we don't know the ins and outs of that conversation with Connor Taylor going. Connor Taylor may have been banging on Alex Neal's door every every day throughout the summer saying, if I'm not going to be playing, I want to leave. If you're not going to be playing me, I want to leave. We don't know, do we, that he may have gone with... Alex Neal might not have won, got rid of him, but it could have been Connor Taylor saying, well, at this stage of my career, I need to play games. 
It could well have been that, you know, Alexander may have turned around and said, you're not good enough. I don't, you're not good enough. I don't think you're going to be good enough. Uh, I can get some money for you. I can reinvest that money to bring somebody else in. Um, so I'd rather do that. Obviously, the thing is, it's, whilst he's got value, it, it, sometimes you have to take that. Because, I mean, we did get a fee for him. And you know, there aren't many players in League One, League Two that go for fees. Oh, let's be honest. The majority of transfers are free agents or free agents, free transfers, uh, loans. So to get a to get an actual transfer fee out of a, a League One side, I think it was it was six figures as well. Well, you know, well into six figures. So you know that that's fair enough. And you know, we've just been in a FFP nightmare. So something like this just again just goes into the coffers and helps us to. Just keep the thing flowing over, doesn't it? Ticking over, so that's that's what you have to do at the end of the day. That's that's the whole point. If he does, if the manager didn't think he's good enough, then he's not going to keep him around just in case we get injuries. And as for seeing foreseeing them, I mean, what, well, he hasn't got a crystal ball, so how does he know that Ben Wilmot, who's badly missed a game? You know, in the last few years, he's going to all of a sudden pick up a major injury by colliding with a post. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it was it was stupid to say that he should have seen it coming, um, really. But whatever keeps him relevant, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's stupid. But I mean, Karen Clark, when he's fit, he's going to be another body around the club. His experience off the pitch will no doubt help as well. I think sometimes that's probably a bit underestimated um, as well, Dan. But... Yeah, um, in answer to your question, I think he'll be a a decent signing. If we get a year or two years out of him, you know, we give him an extension, for example, um, then it's probably not going to be uh, the worst decision we've ever made. No, and, and one other thing that we did sort of cover on the podcast last week, uh, but we'll just touch on again, is the Coventry City tickets, £37 for adults, £25 concessions. Uh, absolutely daylight robbery for a football match in the championship, in my opinion. I think anyone with a sane brain cell uh, in the head, if I'm honest with you, Dan, would say that's ridiculous. Uh, we said, didn't I mean, we? Like it's more than a season ticket at Stoke for one match. Stupid. It, to me, the thirty-seven pound adult ticket is neither here nor there. It's the twenty-five pound concession ticket. That's just. It's disgusting, really. I mean, like I say, adults, adults are adults. They'll pay whatever. But by making those tickets so expensive for concessions, you, you're basically ruling out a family day out there, aren't you, for uh, you know, a, a, a parents or two parents with you know, a couple of kids. I'm, you know, this time of year, there's no way they can afford that. You're talking thicker. You know, if two parents and two kids go, you're talking thick under 130 quid just to get step foot in the place. Without your travel, without your your food, your drink, your everything else that comes with the day. Well, there's there's very few owners who give a toss about the fans. They just want to see about making more money and you know more whatever. So for me, that is nothing more than a an attempt to make some money. You can't look at that and go, oh well, they're getting great value. We're you know, we're playing top teams every week. No, you're not. Um, you know, you're playing bloody Rotherham. You're playing, you're, you're playing Stoke. Do you know what I mean? You're not playing Man City, Chelsea, Spurs. So no, I mean, and I think I, the Premier League got it right with the whole thirty quid max price. To be honest, yeah, this is the Championship. It should be maximum twenty quid away fans. 
Because the thing what... Right, you just look at it like this. Stop being so short-sighted, football clubs. If you... I, I've been to a game before. I remember years and years and years ago, there'd been some trouble between Stoke and Millwall. And Stoke fans were barred from going to Millwall for the season. And Millwall were barred from going to Stoke. And so there were no away fans in attendance when we played them at home. And it was, there was absolutely zero atmosphere. There was nothing at all, the whole game. And that was in t- because there's nobody to sing to. There's nobody to compete with uh, in, in regards to cheering on your side. And if you, as, as a young supporter or whatever, if you try to get so you take your kids along to the game or whatever, I know it's not all about that for a lot of people, you know, if you haven't got children or whatever, but if you, you take kids into a game and you want to get them hooked on that club and they want to go back and go back again, the atmosphere will play a massive part in that experience and getting them hooked. And if you've got a full away end singing and then the home fans will say, you know, the home fans will compete with that, the atmosphere hopefully will, should, you know, spur them on to, to create a, a great atmosphere as well. And it's only be- it's beneficial to everybody there. Everybody then, if the day's improved, by the atmosphere on there and, and sort of, you know, that banter back and forth or just try to out-sing each other. And by doing that, you, like I say, them, them new supporters, anybody anybody young or old who's, who hasn't been to a game for a while or before whatever goes in, thinks, wow, this is great. I've really enjoyed this day. I'll come back. So by by getting more fans in... By allowing more away fans in, you'll actually create a better atmosphere in all four corners of the ground, and you'll actually probably stand more chance of having your home fans returning for the next game. So think outside the box. Don't be so short-sighted as to just try and rob people. And Stoke has been put... Stoke was category B fixture, apparently, for Coventry last year, and they've upgraded to category A. Is that because we fill out the away end everywhere we go? Is that because we sell you know, thousands of away tickets so they thought, oh, well, they'll come anyway, so we'll fleece them a bit more. It's disgusting. It's wrong. should be £20. And if I guarantee you, the attendances will go up. If you put the tickets to £20, you get more attendances. And I bet you, 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 in the long run, you wouldn't just see more people on the way end. You'd start seeing more home fans returning as well because like of what, what I've just said there. One thing you'd find as well is if you actually got people in cheaper, they're more inclined to probably go and buy your overpriced pies and chips and drinks and, and everything like that. And before you know it, you'd probably made more money out of them by getting them in the actual stadium and tempting them with you know, the kids banging on the parents for drinks and food at half time and all that. You're probably going to make more money out of it that way. Uh, that's why I've always said, like, the Stokes kid kid for a quid scheme that I've banged on about for for years to Tony Scholes and, and whatnot, and, you know, saying we, we need to get it in, we need to get it in, and they bring it in for that very reason. It's about the food and the merchandise and everything else that you can make on it and that future generation that you've just been talking about. Like, it's... I think you use actually the word as very short-sighted. Um, but we could go on forever with this. We better move on. Um, how much money do you make out of an empty seat? Absolutely nothing. 
Uh, right, some more positive news to end up on the on the news section. Uh, international roundup. So we had six players away for internationals. Uh, Nathan Lowe made his England debut with the under 18s. They played three matches over the last two weeks, and he played. He came on as a sub in all three, as we drew with Montenegro, Wales, and Austria. So three matches, three draws, but three substitute appearances for Nathan, uh, with a total minutes of 52 minutes there in an England shirt. So well done to him. Uh, Jordan Thompson played for Northern Ireland. He played 90 minutes as they had a home win, three nil home win against San Marino, uh, and also played as they lost one nil to Slovenia at home, uh, which all but ends their qualification hopes. Uh, Nikola Jojic for Serbia under 21s. He played the last seven minutes as they lost 9 1 to England uh, before being an unused sub in their 2 1 win over Northern Ireland. Uh, Mark Travis for Republic of Ireland was an unused sub for the qualifiers against Greece and Gibraltar. Uh, Daniel Johnson was over in Jamaica. Uh, so he played 45 minutes of the 4 1 win away at Granada. Uh, actually getting an assist for Bobby Decoder Reed, Decoder Reed even, uh, for Jamaica. And then he played the 90 minutes of the 3-2 away win against Haiti and got an assist for Leon Bailey. Uh, Jamaica now top the argument. I find that in your Apple Music library. You can ask me to play a radio station or ask for your music in a different app. <laughs> I don't know what it's picked up on there, Dan, to grab that. No idea. <laughs> Uh, Jamaica actually top of their group now so yeah top of their group and looking good to qualify uh, for the CONCACAF uh, championships I believe is what they're trying to get into uh, so fair play to them and the last but not least so Ali Ali Hader, uh 18 year old he's played for the under 18s for Stoke he's played for the under 21s uh, quite an exciting quick winger with a good eye for goals scores plenty of goals they played him up front as well. Uh, he, at 18 years old, has made his debut for the Iraq senior squad during this international break and is the second youngest ever player for Iraq at just 18 years and 16 days old. So, yeah, he was an unused sub for the games against Qatar and then they played Jordan... Uh, in a game that they drew and they won on penalties, and he uh, he came on as a substitute. So congratulations to uh, to yes to Ali there. Uh, any other business? Now you mentioned this earlier on. I'd like to give you some sort of you know sort of Stoke related news, but not directly. And uh, I don't know if you can guess what this is going to be, but the tragic, terrible news has emerged tonight that poor Gary Rowett has left Millwall. They say by mutual consent. It's such a tragedy. It's so so uh, poor guy, poor guy, now without a job. Uh, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, Mike. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm holding a, a vigil at 23... Uh, oh, no, that, that, that time's really gone. That. Never mind. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone enjoyed that vigil uh, in his honour. Uh, yeah, couldn't give a rat's... Awesome, about him, to be honest with you, Dan. Um, yeah, yeah he's one of them. I think you... the Stoke fans did he didn't steer himself no. to the Stoke fans while he was here, and uh, yes, no tears will be shed in this area of the country at his leaving his post. 
No, there the, the, the won't be. And the same thing happened him at Millwall that happened at Stoke. Starts having to dig out at the fans and stuff like that. And as soon as you do that, you, your time's up. It's like it's like he goes into a club, you know, you know whatever goes wrong in that scenario. Um, and he just knows by calling that out, he's going to get the sack and he gets a nice payoff. That's the way it seems to me. I mean, it may not be as black and white as that in, in the whole thing. Obviously, we're not, we, we don't know that, but um, it's just the perception that he gives off at the very least. So, yeah, yeah well, whatever. I, I was invited, I was invited onto a, that Millwall podcast Um to sort of talk about this when and after he'd had a go at the fans the other week and that I called it then I said this is a mirror image of his final few you know, his few weeks at Stoke and he called the fans out he had a go at he we knew was a fan's favourite in Bojan he knew that I'd get him some heat if you like with the supporters and I think he was he was looking to get out. He was looking for an excuse to get out. I think he thought the job wasn't going to work. He was wasting his time there. He was only going to end one way and he wanted out. And I think the same things happened at Millwall. Um, it's funny how you say it's mutual consent. I think he's probably gone in and he refuses to quit, doesn't he? I think he's probably made it blatantly obvious that he wants to leave, but he won't quit because he'll want, like say, that nice payoff. And also, it doesn't look as good on the CV if he's walked away from a job, does it? Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably why. But, yeah, no doubt he'll end up rolling up somewhere else because he's not, as, as much as it pains me to say, he's, he's got Millwall in the top 10 three years in a row, hasn't he? So he has done a terrible job. I'm sure there'll be some club who'll take him on. Yeah, and I've heard that Nathan Jones is the early front runner uh, for for that one. Oh. So, yeah, uh, good good luck with that one. Um, cool. Any other news? I mean, I know we've had two weeks off, hence the extended kind of conversation. But any other bits? Know, you want to we've covered everything there. I think that needs covering. We have. Cool. Well, everyone's caught up with obviously all the news and everything as well. So uh, we'll obviously look ahead now to a, uh, a very big game, actually, at the weekend. One that we really could do a bouncing back with, obviously, is the Sunderland game. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Dan, uh, Sunderland come back to the Bet365, mate. They're doing really, really well. They're in fourth place. I think they've won like three of from their last five games, I think you, you may have mentioned last week. Um, and let's be honest, they certainly know how to score goals as well. I think they've scored 20 uh, already this season compared to our lofty heights of 11 that we've uh, managed to do. Uh, this is going to be a bloody tough game, don't you think? Yeah, I think... It's it's going to be really tough now. Just sort of touching injury wise, um, Sunderland are going to be without Corey Evans, Jay Matete, Timothy 
Pembele, Eliza Mahimeende, Ajili said, Dennis Kishi, they're all out injured. Daniel is suspended. Whilst they've also got doubts over Alex Pritchard, Pierre Equart, Bradley Duck, Niall Higgins, and Dan Ballard, who missed the Northern Ireland's game in Slovenia this week. So they've got quite a few injuries themselves. Although, obviously, you know, the Pritchard sort of Equart, Duck, Higgins, Ballard may all play, may non play, who nobody knows at this stage. But yeah, they've got quite a few of players who've picked up injuries and niggles in the last couple of weeks. Um, may be why what contributed, as obviously as well as uh, Daniel sending off to the four 0 defeat at home to Middlesbrough last time out. Um, Stoke sort of on the other way in this. I mean, it, it, reading reports, it appears that uh, sort of hinting that Welsh will still be without May, Stevens, Campbell, Wilmot, Baker. And then you've got um, obviously Tezgel uh, as well, who's sort of building up his match fitness. That you've got Hoover, Gooch, Rose, and Vidigal all hoping to return this weekend. So we're sort of coming out the other end, you hope now, and we've got four players coming back to fitness. Yeah, but I, bet, I, I, I do hope so. We we desperately, desperately need them. Um, we need some defenders for a start to come back. That that'll be a good start. I think Gooch was really showing brilliant signs uh, before he got injured. And look, you know, when, look, when I said it really difficult, I think it will be a difficult game. But for me, when I've watched Sunderland and some of their games, yes, they're high scoring. Um, so you know they know how to finish. You know they've got obviously uh, uh, Clark who's coming back as well, if I remember rightly. So he's doing really well for them. Uh, it's similar to when he when he was playing with for us. Actually, I think he kind of started off a bit ropey, um, and then ended up kind of you know taking a bit forward and really starting to develop his game a little bit. So I think he's scored a few this year as well and, and contributing. But I think the way to get at Sunderland from when I've watched them personally is to not let them get hold of the ball. I mean, Ben Pearson is an absolute guaranteed yellow card for this one because I think we're going to have to get in the faces, be physical um, and not let them play. I think if you let them play, especially in that final third, that's where you're going to come unstuck and they're going to score goals, especially if we've got a defence that, again, might be a bit makeshift. We might have Gooch coming back. You know, Junior might be coming in instead of Henry. We've got McNally and Rose potentially at the back. Like, you know, this back four probably haven't played together. Well, the whole back four, probably not at all. Um, But there's going to be some defensive frailties with us still. So I think we have to get that midfield very, very spot on to allow us to have that engine and to, to close them down and put the pressure on and do it for 90 minutes. That That's going to be the difficult thing. But for me, Dan, that, that's the way through Sunderland. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get on to teams, but, you know, you mentioned about people coming back. Uh, Vidigal, we mentioned about him a lot on this part and everyone loves bit of Vidigal already. He's the new Bojan, right? Everyone loves him. Um, like, he will be potentially the difference in this type of a game where it is going to be maybe, you know, two hard battling teams, maybe with the chances. I don't think it's going to be a high, high scoring game at all, Dan. I really don't think that for a second. So, you know, if we can get him back, Haksabanovic has been great. He's been a bit leggy going into games, I think, because he's had to do so much. But I think we've got enough at that top end of the pitch to win this game. 
the battle is going to be in that midfield and stopping that. And hopefully then the defence can put a decent performance in. So a tricky game, but one I think we could we could definitely win. But obviously we could definitely lose as well, knowing Stoke. So, um, yeah, it's from what I've seen, we need to get it in their faces to give ourselves a good chance. And hopefully, you know, the fans turn up. That'd always be nice. I think there's a ticket offer on, isn't there, Dan? This weekend is it ten quid or twenty quid? I think I've seen things flying around. Yes, I'm sure there is. Yeah, um, I've I'm not sort of seen the exact details. But I'm sure, like so, I'm sure I've seen one. I think it is twenty quid. I think I've seen loads of people put some codes out that you can put it online. I mean, the, so hopefully there'll be plenty of you know things going on there. But yeah, like for me, I, again. They're doing really well. They'll, I think, when you look at that, they the fans as well. You know, their fans will be, and we've got some audio. I think and might, might say similar, but their fans will probably be up for this. You know, Alex Neal. Some fans will just move on, don't really care less. You know, let's be honest. They've got that they're fourth. You know, they they've got nothing to to feel disappointed about. Alex Neal leaving, um, but it's one of them games where if our fans don't turn up, um, and you know we we let them have a go at Alex Neal and create a real horrible atmosphere. And then if we go one nil down, it could start turning very, very sour, very quickly, because I think that's when our fans will start getting vocal the way that, you know, I think Alex Neal has especially been received in the, in the press and the media in the last couple of weeks. Um, so I think we, we, you know, we need the fans to turn up. We've had the international break, Let's park that now. We we know where we've been up to now. We've got some difficult games coming up. We need to get some wins. If we beat Sunderland and beat Leeds in the next week, the whole spectrum could shift. You know, we'll have players coming back and, and six points behind us. And I know we're talking a you know ideal world here, but surely Dan, like we've we've got to just park what's happened pre-international break and go again now. Hopefully, we're players coming back, don't we? It doesn't benefit anybody to to hold on to that. Obviously, I'm not saying completely forget and uh, you know and give up on on it before what's happened before, but to hold you know, to, to 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 follow through with any sort of resentment or bad feeling straight into the game. There's no point in you. Let's get behind, like we said earlier on. Get behind the lads. Let's you know. Let's sort of cheer them on. Let's pick them up because. You know, the, the I, I I struggle to believe that any footballer doesn't go out and give hundred percent, doesn't try the best, and I think what we've got we've got a we've got a young side, haven't we? Compared, you know, I think the thing is Sunderland have also got a young side, and like you're saying there about getting stuck into them, getting putting a foot into them, and that I think that's what we want to do. Like I say, they they've got a very good technical side. Um, they're good, like you sort of said. They're good on the ball. They they play their best football with the ball. And I think they do leave themselves exposed slightly out of possession. And I think if we are tight as a defensive unit, and we don't give them easy chances when we ha- when they've got the ball, and then we make you know we make um, make good use of the ball, be positive with it when we get it. Um, you know, don't don't be afraid to play. You know, play the passes in because they will produce gaps. And I think if we take chances on the ball and be brave with it, 
I think then that we will get chances will come, especially if we've got like say Haksimanovic and Vidigal um, playing up front. I mean, I don't know what your team's going to look like, uh, but for me, I think them two uh, they haven't really had a chance to link up very much. Um, but yeah, if if we can get those two playing with each other, and I'm sure they're two very clever footballers, um, two very good technical footballers, and I think. Like I say, they can really sort of feed off each other. I'd love, I'd like, like, you know, looking forward to seeing how they play with each other. Yeah, so I think I'll give, I'll give you my team, Dan, just to, to kick off with, actually. So, I mean, the goalkeeper speaks for itself every week. Uh, back four. Now, again, not that we've got much choice, but based on the rumoured people coming back, uh, you, I've got to go junior at right back. I think he's... I think he's replacing Henry for me at the minute. I want to see more of him. I think to drop him would be extremely harsh um, and there's no reason to drop him for me. I think, again, we're going to need pace in this game. Uh, we're going to have a chance to hopefully you know, break on them if needs be. So Junior 100% goes at right back. Rosa McNally, unfortunately, kind of speak for themselves. They've got to play. Um, Lyndon Gooch goes left back uh, for me, uh, for sure. We've then got, obviously, Ben Pearson. I said he's going to guarantee yellow cards. So if you're a betting man, get Pearson in for a yellow card, although I'm not sure you get great odds for what should be an absolute certainty. Uh, Josh Loren and Johnson, for me, will probably go into the middle. I can't see um, any scenario at the minute where that really changes. I think he's going to want his workhorses. Loren, his captain, he ain't going to drop his captain. We've already seen that already. Uh, and as we've kind of talked about, uh, Haksabanovic and Vidigal will be up front. And I'm putting Juno on the left. Since he's come in the last couple of games, he really, you know, even his kind of like the smaller cameo appearances, he seems to actually have maybe caught up now. And I think he's having a bit more influence on games. So if I'm thinking of a, of a back three and we're not going to, you know, lump the ball forward, we're going to try and play. I'd have Juno on the left, Haksabanovic on the right, and Vidigal down the middle. Uh, I, just, I just think for me that... It oozes pace, quality, trickery. It it gives us a lot of dy- you know dyna- dynamic play, if you want to call it that, um, up front. So that's my team. No doubt we'll have. I'm not going to give you a bench, um, but you know we'll we'll probably have a a youthful bench. Probably harsh to drop Nathan Lowe potentially, but when you've got the different choice between Vidigal and Nathan Lowe, it's not really a contest, unfortunately, at this point. Yeah, um, I've sort of similar. I think it's got a couple of changes compared to your team. So obviously, Travers is in goal, goes without saying. I may as well get the team sheet printed with his name on it at this point, I reckon. Um, I've gone for. I've gone for Chamadu at right back, similar to you. Uh, I was. was We've got Hoiver, haven't we? We've got Henry, Chamadu, and Gooch for the full-back positions, it's like obviously two of them are going to play. I think with it being against his old club, I'm going to put Gooch in at left-back. Um, I was sort of, you know, juggling with the idea of playing Henry and Chamadu at right and left-back, but I think, yeah, Junior needs to play because he's been fantastic. He's got the shirt now, whatever shirt it is, but he's got it. And that's going to be a right-back. Gucci's is going to be a left-back. And obviously, McNally and Rose are the only two centre-half standing are going to be playing at centre-half. Ben Pierce is going to be shielding them. Uh, Josh Loren is going to be in midfield with Berger for me. Now, um, Daniel Johnson, love it. Don't worry. I am still a massive fan. I love the guy. However, 
as we mentioned before, he's just been over to Jamaica. So he's done a lot of miles, a lot of miles on his legs. And I think we're going to need high energy for this. Uh, like I say, a very youthful Sunderland side. We're going to need high energy, high pressing. Um, so for me, Berger starts the game. And obviously, if we if, if we do need a bit of thing later on, then Johnson can always come on last 20 minutes or something for some fresh legs. Um, but yeah, I just think you know, he might not might not have it in the tank uh, having played obviously the couple of games and all the travelling as well you know halfway across the world basically um, Vidigal and Haksavanovic no real nail down left and right I think they'll just interchange I think they'll link up I think they'll come short uh, they'll go right wide uh, you'll probably find there's points that the pair of will be on one side linking up and you know then they'll be on the other It'll, they'll just give them a bit of a free roll each to be honest just to roam around and obviously link up with each other and then obviously I've got my focal point as Wesley um, I do not oh, think really? that yeah I, I just do not think that uh, Sunderland will look forward to uh, playing them I think as well uh, sort of joked about this as well you know obviously defenders they're going to try and pass it out we saw you know I know Hull it didn't didn't end well uh, but when Wesley came on, actually, you know, his sort of effort and his running and everything in that game, I thought he pressed really well. And I think he did sort of hurry their defenders into making sort of mistakes and stuff. And I think he maybe made them play the ball earlier than they wanted to. And I think with Sunderland, he can do the same job there. And obviously now he's got a, a fit here, Vidigal, and Haksimanovic as well. Uh, who hopefully will be able to capitalise on anything like that and also help him with that press and lead it as well. See, um, my my kind of thing with, with him, look, I, I don't think he's been dreadful. I, I, I don't think that's fair um, for anyone. I've seen a couple of comments. I don't think it's been that bad. But I just, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, the, my problem is whenever he's played, we've not been able to get near him. Now, whether that's because of the personnel or whatever, I think even when Haksabanovic has been playing alongside him, it just feels like we're very lumpy to him and then we'll catch up about three minutes later uh, to actually get close. I just think with having you know, a Juno, a Haksabanovic and a, a Vidigal, that I just think he gives us that that pace and that different dynamic. It just feels a little bit slow and yeah, it just feels slow when when he's up front. So it it, it makes your team you you have you want, but it just feels to me that would be a bit too slow of a pace. But I, I do also get it when I'm saying that we need to be physical while well, he'll be physical. So I see the benefits. It's just not the one I go for personally. That's all. Yeah, I I just I just felt that if you put in Wesley up there, I'd say you have got a focal point, and it's up to. Vidigal and Haksabanovic to get close to him. And like I say, they are both both those pairs as well. The like with Larice, I find that Larice likes to stay wide. He likes to be wide, don't he? That's where he, he natural sort of drifts to. Whereas I think with Vidigal and Haksabanovic, they like to tuck inside a bit more. Obviously, you know, Vidigal loves to get a shot off. So he will be buzzing around Wesley looking for any sort of knockdowns. He doesn't need a second invitation to get any shots, does he? He'll get a shot away. And I, I say I just think that those two like to come inside, and I think that will help to get closer to Wesley if he's got people, I'd say, both wingers sort of cut, you know, drifting in and around him uh, rather than staying further back. I think as well you're probably looking at... Um, 
maybe sort of the supply line from Berger and maybe trying to get him to sort of burst forward and join the attack a bit as well. You know, because I think he his passing ability from midfield is easier to, you know, better service than to Wesley. Substitutes for me, I've got Lowe, Bay, Bonham, um, Hoiver, Thompson, Gale, Joich, Larice, and Johnson. Uh, the only real player who possibly you could say has missed out there would probably be Sadibi. Again, I, I get it. It's it's going to be interesting to to see how he how he lines up for sure. Um, but yeah, no arguments with the team. So what we'll do, we'll we'll have a, a couple of bits of uh, Gray McGarry and obviously some uh, thoughts as well, of course, from our friends at Sunderland. So we'll have a list to them and then we'll get straight into your uh, stats and ref watch as well, which I know a lot of people really enjoy. So uh, let's kick off with uh, Mr. Gray McGarry. Hello there, you Potters predictors. I hope you've enjoyed your international break. Good to see England and Scotland already qualifying for the Euros and hopefully they'll be followed by Wales. But it's now down to serious league action for you Stoke City's followers and a very tough game as well against fourth place Sunderland who are playing really well at the moment under their very experienced manager Tony Mowbray. Don't forget, of course, there's a bit of rivalry here because he's one of Alex Neal's former clubs that he's up against come Saturday afternoon. Stoke will have hoped that the international break has helped them settle themselves down and get ready now to put some points on the board. They're too low in that championship table for fans to be happy and they're too low as well for the management team to be happy. So things have to change and hopefully this weekend they can do. But it's a real tough call, this one, especially Stoke's home form hasn't been the best best this season and Sunderland well we we know that they can pick up points hence why they're going for possibility of promotion this time around great crowd big great atmosphere who's going to win it nobody Stoke won Sunderland won so I think going into the game it's quite a strange one because usually when you've recently just suffered a 4-0 defeat people will be quite negative requesting changes you know going at the manager but I think in the nature that Sunderland lost their previous game with obviously the very, very bizarre and harsh sending off to Dan Neal for dissent, um, I think Sunderland fans pretty much acknowledged that whilst, of course, we shouldn't have conceded four, I think the performance was sort of ruined by that decision. So aside from that dismal defeat, I think we've started the season very well. I think... You know, we've still got that very young side. We're playing attractive football. And I think going on from last season, we, when we were in the mix of the playoffs, snuck in last minute, looking like, although it's very tight, we're in the mix again. It's very early days, but I think it's definitely been a good start of the season. In terms of that style, so I think Sunderland are quite a on-the-floor team. You know, we've got a lot of more flair players who like to go at people we're not the most physical side you know you don't, we don't really have very big lads I mean you've seen last season when we lost to Luton in the playoff second leg the key reason was when they stopped us from playing the ball on the floor we just didn't have those big lads to deal with the aerial threat I think we have addressed that more in the summer with signing more players over six foot but I still think that is an area that would probably be the weakness for us and that physicality and aerial ability but in terms of on the ball, you know, playing it on the deck, some creative players. I think we've got one of the best sides in the division for that style of football. With the players, Stoke actually might end up being quite lucky in the sense that some of Sunderland's best players might not be available for this. Um, defensively, our standout man by far has been Dan Ballard. You know, he's 
we, we sort of had him and Danny Baff last season with Bat as more of the experienced head. Ballard's now took that on, obviously, next to Onion, and I think he's came on leaps and bounds, really stepped forward as a leader. He missed the last game for Northern Ireland, so we're all hoping that was just precautionary and that he'll be involved. Obviously, I mentioned earlier about Dan Neal's red card. He'll be missing. That's pretty crucial because he's been ever-present this season, really improved, more consistent display. So he'll be a miss, but the good thing is we've got people back to replace him in Pierre Equa. I still prefer Neil and Equa as a two, but it'll be good to obviously have Equa there, so at least we've got a central midfielder, because other than that, it would have just left us, left us with Joel Bellingham. With players to look out for, I think the obvious one, given that the goal scoring chart right now is Jack Clark. He scored a couple of penalties this season, but I mean, when he runs at people, he's absolutely terrifying at the minute. I think when we first got him on loan from Spurs, he was quite a frustrating player, as in he just he give the ball away more than make things happening. And then that changed last season where he started to get more goals and more assists. And it got to the point where fans sort of accepted that he may lose the ball two, three times a game going at people. But when he gets past his man, he does make something happen. And now this season more so, he's making things happen more and more. He's increasing that consistency. And there's a, I don't know what the stat is off the top of my head, but there's a crazy stat for ball carries already this season where... People just don't know what to do where he's running at them. He's getting past people, he's getting into space and he's making things happen. Of course, as well, we have the elephant in the room, which is obviously Alex Neil. It'll be the first time he's obviously playing at home against Sunderland since leaving. Obviously, we know what happened last time when Sunderland were completely embarrassed by Stoke. It was probably by far the worst performance of the season, which was typical for many reasons in that Dwight Gale had literally never scored or scored one and then he bagged a brace somehow. Obviously, Neil's previously said that, you know, he, he doesn't expect to be booed because his relationship with Sunderland was good for both parties, which in some, obviously, angles it was. He got us out of, the, of a league we were desperately trying to get out of. I think the only thing that left a bit of a sour taste was when he mentioned he wasn't backed, which, of course, wasn't true. But I think... It's more the context of it. I think his version of backed would be obviously what the Stoke hierarchy have done this season in allowing them to bring in quite a vast range of players that are more experienced, a little less red tape on things, whereas it obviously Sunderland, we're on a bit of a different path as in the experienced heads just aren't really who we're looking at. We are looking at a lot of younger players who aren't really tried and tested, who we can develop and either they can grow with the club or they can be sold. So I think he obviously felt that that path wasn't for him, which is fine. Um, obviously, it was reported that he had a better contracted Stoke anyway, so a bit of an upgrade there. But I think given how well you know Sunderland have been doing since, Tony Mowbray has been excellent. So not, I think not really too bothered anymore about that situation. I think it's sort of dead and buried. Of course, there's going to be probably boos from an element of Sunderland fans, etc. And it'll probably continue whilst we face Stoke for the foreseeable. But I think it would be nice, you know, three points is the most important thing. It's not just about the Sunderland nail drama. There's a game of football at the end of the day, and I think that should be the priority. So lastly, with a score prediction, I think there's been a lot of goals in Sunderland's games this season, so I do think we'll score. But I'm not, there's not a chance I'm going to predict a win after when the last time there's two sides face one another. Stoke came out with a 5-1 victory, so I think I'll go with a 2-2 score draw. 
starting out, Stoke have met Sunderland on 152 occasions with 48 wins, 38 draws and 66 defeats. Uh, played at Stoke on 75 occasions, 36 victories, 19 stalemates and 20 defeats at home. Um, recent times, so last season uh, was the first defeat at home to Sunderland since 2012, in which time we've won two and drew three against the Black Cats. Uh, Alex Neal, now his record against uh, Tony Mowbray, Sunderland manager, is pretty good. Eight games, six wins, one draw and just a one defeat, scoring 24 goals and conceding just 10. Uh, Alex Neal against Sunderland, played five, won three, drew one, lost one. Um, although at home, he's just drew one and lost one at home, so that's not as good. <laughs> uh, Mowbray versus Stoke. Now, 15 times Tony Mowbray has managed against Stoke. He's won just three games, drew three, and lost a whopping nine. So he's, he's six times he was manager versus uh, when he was at West Brom. Eight times he managed Stoke when he was at Blackburn, and obviously the one game against Sunderland. Now, Tony Mowbray at the Bet365 Stadium. Three wins and four defeats, although he's won three of his last four visits to the Bet365, all with Blackburn Rovers. Stokes home form in the league, played five, won two, lost three, although they've lost the last three in a row, which puts them 18th in the home form table. Uh, Sunderland's away form, they've played five in the league, won three, drew one, lost one, and but their last three away games, they've scored three goals in each game. Yeah, so last five games as well, Stoke are... Um, got just four points and sit 17th over the last five games whilst Sunderland are, uh, have got nine points in the last five matches and sit 7th in the table uh, after failing to finish above 10th for 11 successive years Sunderland have now had five consecutive top eight finishes including four of those inside the playoffs um, so yes yeah, so they've had a, a, a spell of success really you'd say that wouldn't they um, Sunderland conceded four goals though in 32 minutes versus Middlesbrough in the last match they played before the international break which was the quickest they've done that since conceding four in 23 minutes or five and 35 at home to Stoke in March thought I'd have to drop that one in <laughs> um, whereas Stoke have only got two players Josh Loren and Mark Travers who have started every league game this season Sunderland have been able to select seven players from the start in every game this season so Ballard, O'Nine, Patterson, Hume, Clark, Neil and Joe Bellingham are the seven players with 100% appearance records so all seven of those have started every league game this season so that probably shows the difference in being able to get a settled side out and uh, being able to pick players regularly and obviously the benefits of that are Sunderland have had much better form uh, now Clark Clark's had a great start to the season for Sunderland he has seven goals from 21 shots this season now, whereas Patrick Roberts has had 16 shots and Alex Pritchard has had 11 and neither of those have managed to, hit the, um, have managed to uh, get a goal yet this season. Andre Vidigal for Stoke, he has four goals from 18 shots, whilst Tyrese Campbell is yet to score in the league after having 21 efforts at goal. Only three of those, though, were actually on target. 
So Tyrus was a bit wayward with his, his shooting. Uh, Josh Loren has also failed to score from 13 shots this season, and only one of those was actually on target as well. So the referee is Graham Scott. So this season he has ref four matches, give 17 yellows, one red, one penalty. There's been three home wins and one away win. He's ref Stoke on five occasions, given us 11 yellows, no reds, no penalties for one penalty against. We've had one win, one draw and three defeats with him. Um, so two, he's reft us twice at home and we've lost on both occasions and the most recent time he reft us was only a few weeks ago when he took charge of our League Cup game away at Bournemouth in which we lost 2-0 down on the south coast he has ref Sunderland four times giving them five yellows no reds, uh, no penalties for them but he has given, one, he has given two penalties against them uh, they have one win and three defeats from those four matches, but he hasn't ref them since the 19, no, since the 2016-17 season, uh, where he took charge of away defeats to Burnley by four goals to one and a 2-0 defeat at Leicester. That is everything. Well, Dan, thank you very much. Yeah, always interesting stats, mate. Um, referee, wonder what he's done to get uh, relegated to the championship. Um, but, well, hopefully we won't find out at the weekend <laughs> uh, because, well, we, uh, we've we had enough dodgy referees uh, going on for a while. I still stand by the fact that I think if we... It, it's been very public that as a club we've been done over by a number of decisions. I just think, and it, you know, some people won't like it, but I just think that maybe we should... Um, if we get half of ch- half a chance, some contact, maybe it's soft. I think we need to go down because I think referees may potentially be able to, to to give us one or two decisions that might have been a bit borderline. They won't want to be the, you know, the seventh or eighth referee uh, to go and give us a decision or not give us a decision they should have given us. So I actually think we should try and you know play the game a little bit because. Christ, we saw, you know, we've seen a couple of uh, penalties being given against us already, I think, this season. Um, one, I can't remember who it was at home now, uh, where there was hardly any contact at all. Uh, and we obviously had a, a, a penalty given against us. So I just think let's make the most of it. Let's If we get off, off a chance, we get a bit of contact, go down. Uh, give them someone to think about. And obviously then the fans will help by uh, all shouting for it. Um, have you got anything for... Super Six, or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to mention it, if I'm honest, Dan, because you're absolutely bossing Super Six this season. I'm glad I did not take you up on your bet. Yes, you, it's a very shame that you uh, you've chickened out of our forfeit. It's a shame. Would you, you like to tell people shorts? what the forfeit was, Daniel, and then they'll understand why I chickened out of it? Would you no, like to tell I, them what it was? Yeah, they'll they'll be very disappointed in you, Michael. I said that the loser, whoever finished lower in the Super Six League, would have to be a mascot at the final home game of the season and walk out holding one of the players' hands, get out on the pitch, do a little warm-up with all the other mascots. And I'm not talking potomacy, I'm talking like a child mascot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone wonders why I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Then you should have predicted football scores better and then he would have been me doing it. But as it stands, I think it's 
yeah, I'm creating a bit of a gap on Super Six, Santa. Um, you can still play back though. It's only October. Plenty of time for you yet. I haven't missed a week yet. You know what's going on, with Dan? <laughs> to be honest, I was doing I was doing really well last season, and I, I was doing well. I had some great weeks. The last, I'd say, the last two or three weeks has been bloody awful. Like I, I've had moments in in games where you know I'd be sixty or seventy minutes in. And I'm sitting there with 11, 12 points thinking, oh, this is brilliant. You know, everything's working out well. I check at the end of the game and I've got two or three points. I'm like, what the hell happened? I, was, I, I just I've lost my touch. Minutes. Well, yeah, 100%. And the only thing I do know is that you are, mate, you're in joint fourth, I think. You've got like 98 yeah. points for the season. I mean, that the, yes. the top person, Nicholas Yates, has got 108. So you're doing absolutely amazing. Yeah, Nicholas Yates. Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Yates and Michael Gaiola have 108. Luke Higgins has 103, and then there's a host of people on 98, including myself. I picked up nine points this week. You picked up two points, which takes you to 73 and 89th place in the table. It's pretty, pretty dreadful. And just to point out, I had Brentford to beat Man United, who were beating Man United at one point uh, before they scored two injury time goals. So that's where I thought I was going to get not only the correct result, but the correct score, uh, which is not fair. I obviously predicted Chelsea to beat Burnley, um, not 4-1, 2-1. I thought there'd be a draw between Everton and Bournemouth, and Everton somehow decided to win that game. Um I went for a draw against Palace and Forest, and that didn't work out. And then I had Brighton to beat Liverpool 2-1, and it was 2-2. And I, I really so didn't see Arsenal winning. And so I was just going to say, the, the Arsenal-Man City game was, yeah, Arsenal won 1-0. But it was the most drab, crap game I've seen in a while. They they stole it with a huge deflection that I'm sure everyone's seen. So as I mean, mate, small margins, I would have had at least another six or seven points there. Um, but that's why, as you said, it's played over 90 minutes. So, oh well. Uh, the other thing that I'm beating you on purely because you don't play anymore is Gaffer. <laughs> so, I am 37th in that, so I'm not doing it as good in Gaffer, but I have 553 points uh, after scoring 54 in the, in the last game week before the international break. Uh, Anthony Hobbs is third in our league with 812. At Thurgood Joe as 813. And then with a massive 880 points, Stoke is a bay. He leads the way. And actually, in the whole game, he is third overall. Stoke is bay. is 880 points. So fantastic. Well done. Our league does seem to get it. I think, didn't, we, didn't we have the overall winner in our league last year? Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, so, I think we did. Was it was it oh was it Stoke Gaffer? Or I, I imagine think that. It was, yes. Um Yeah. Oh yeah. We we Stoke Gaffer or Kyle Gaffer, I can't remember what now. Yeah, but we we are a hotbed army for Gaffer's high scorers. <laughs> we're we're um, a breed of talent, aren't we, Dan? Uh one last thing I will say before we end is on this day, nineteen seventy-two. Uh, we lost 2-1 at Anfield in what was Gordon Banks' last game for the club. Uh, he suffered a car accident after being... In the, he was in for some treatments the day after and on his way he was involved in a car accident where he lost the sight of his eye. Um, and, yeah, never played for Stoke again. Uh, Liverpool actually won this game with a last in the last minute. The ref played advantage with, um, from, a, obviously, a Stoke tackle on Liverpool player. Ref played advantage... Uh, they got a shot, didn't didn't score, so they then brought 
puts it back for a free kick, which they then put in the top corner. So it seems the refs were crap even the way back in 1972, Mike. <laughs> I'm not quite sure they were this crap, though, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, that that is uh, that is on this day. So, Probably. would you like a Six Towns Challenge? It is. Name me the six championship managers still in charge of the teams they were when Alex Neal was announced as Stoke manager. Yeah, go on then. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I've got a six towns challenge to wrap up with, Mike. So we mentioned earlier on Gary Rowett has been sacked and there was and Alex Neal was the seventh longest serving manager in the league. Now, obviously, Tony Mowbray in the opposite dugout is the eighth longest because obviously he was appointed two days after Mr. Neal was appointed here at Stoke. What I want from you for the six towns challenge, which six current championship managers are still in charge of the teams they were when Alex Neal was appointed as Stoke manager. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a... Okay. Well, I'm going to start off with Mark Robbins because I think Mark Robbins has been there for forever. um, Yes. At Coventry, so he must be there. Number one. Number one, Mark Robbins, Coventry, six years, seven months, 12 days. Just so you know, Alex Neal's been in charge of Stoke for one year, one month, and 20 days. So two of these managers were promoted last season. So they would have been promoted from League One into the Championship. Not sure how long he's... See, Ma- uh, Michael Carrick came to mind, but I don't I don't know how long he's been at Middlesbrough. Uh, I, know they're not, I know he's not recently promoted. I'm just trying to think of managers. Uh, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, Dan. Uh, I'm, go- I'm going to have to go with Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick is joint ninth on this list, 11 months and 23 days. Uh, joint 10th, sorry, because through Alex Neal. Uh, yes, 11 months and 23 days since he took charge at Middlesbrough. You've got number one. Number two has been in charge for two years, seven months, and we have already played them this season. That's any, any uh, clues to you? So he fought off a pack of wolves. Was it a pack of wolves or a bear in the woods? A pack of wolves? What the hell have you been watching? Um, oh, you've not seen that story. That's amazing. No, I've not. I've not. I've not seen that. Well, actually, one of them. Um, this put a little bit. It wasn't Nigel Pearson, was it? Well, he believe me, one talking. of them. That's who I'm talking Isn't about. It? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he, Maybe I have heard it and I didn't realise because I, I've not heard that story. I don't think. Yeah, so he's been in charge at Bristol City for two years, seven months and 24 days. He's second on the list. He tells a story that during the close season, two or three years ago, he was out backpacking through some, I don't know where he was, and uh, yeah, he got surrounded by wolves and he basically rolled his sleeves up and had a bit of a ding-dong with him and basically knocked a few of them out. (laughs) Mate, I, I must have heard that for, for his name to come back to my head I must have heard it but I, di- I don't know where I don't remember the story at all right well um, but now you said oh, people promoted and it, 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 we played well it must be the one from the other week then um, Lowe what, Ryan, is it Ryan Lowe from, for Preston yeah now Ryan Lowe Preston he is joint third with one year, 10 months, and 11 days. Now, he's joint third because he left his old club to take over at Preston 
and his assistant then took over at the club he left, guided them to promotion. So he obviously he took over. That's why they're on the same day, because his assistant manager then took <laughs> over, guided them to promotion. They're now in the championship, and that club is... Oh, Plymouth. Yes. Stephen yeah, Schumacher. Well. Stephen Schumacher was assistant manager to Ryan Lowe. Ryan Lowe left for Preston. Schumacher oh, got promoted to the main role, and he got them promoted. Obviously, them were both appointed in their respective jobs on the same day. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to go with what I said before as well then, Dan. I'm going to go with, I um, can't think of his name, the Rotherham manager. He would have been there for a while because they, they don't change managers all, all that often, I don't think. Do I Rotherham? need to give you the name? Matt Taylor was the Rotherham manager. Taylor. He's been there for one year, zero months and 14 days. So he was, he was, <laughs> right, appointed, a month, he was appointed a month after Alex Neal. So he just missed out on this list. Oh, okay. But um, you've got fifth place. So think it um, just been promoted. Now, bear in mind, you've had Plymouth. Sheffield Wednesday have obviously, they sacked Darren Moore, haven't they? And sacked Isco since then as well. <laughs> so they're on their third manager since they got promoted. Um. So well, what about McKenna at Ipswich? Have I mentioned McKenna? Yes, so you mentioned Ipswich, so yeah. Do you know who the manager is there? Can you think of his name? It's McKenna, isn't it? Kieran McKenna, yes. Former Manchester United coach. He's been at Ipswich for one year, nine months and 28 days. And that just leaves one more manager. Um, bit of a tough one. Former Premier League striker. I think he played for Newcastle for a short time. Uh, he's been in his post for one year, three months and 17 days. Uh, so he was appointed in, oof, what are we talking, due, start of July last year. Not the foggiest, can't tell you, I'm afraid. John Dahl Thomason at Blackburn, <laughs> which, you know, he's sort of been rumoured to be leaving more than once, Santi, with it falling out with the board and stuff. Uh, so yeah, Alex Neil may be going further up this list. <laughs> okay, well I've not I've not conquered it again, unfortunately. I got close-ish, um, but close. mate, I, it was <laughs> I, my, my brain goes absolutely nothing, and then I get one and it breaks down another. So I'll take <laughs> I'll take it. Was that four or five in the end? Uh, I think we got five out of six. You did well. Fine. Okay, I'll I'll will take it. Uh, I'll be um, bringing it. Who am I to the Monday pod uh, when we obviously take on Leeds as well? So I'll uh, I'll bring that to us. Last week was Wayne Thomas. Um, all the week before, rather, was Wayne Thomas. Um, so I'll find somebody else uh, as well. Is there anything else you want to cover off the uh, before we wrap up and look forward to three points on Saturday? No. Um, I think we're all set. We're all good. We've had a little break. I hope everybody's refreshed, clearing those throats out, ready to sing the lads to a victory on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely, victory, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling confident. Whether that's blind stupidity, I'm not quite sure, but I'm feeling confident either way. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Buxton, I shall see you in our seats um, as always on Saturday everybody else enjoy the game uh, if you're bringing the kids along for you know the ticket offer that, that's obviously going on or you know whatever it is just come back in let's hope for a good performance get behind the lads and then hopefully you know we'll be able to start this 
post international break before the next one, uh, and a bit more of a, a positive light. So enjoy uh, your weekends. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, on Monday uh, to preview the Leeds game. So uh, enjoy the match. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport, powered by fans.